Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, we speak with inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. My co-host Joe Stewart and I would like to honor the elders of the wisdom traditions of yoga that originate in India. We also wish to honor the traditional custodians of the land where this podcast is recorded, the Rwandari people of the Kulin Nation. I hope you're well. Things are starting to open back up in Melbourne and we've been getting into the swing of teaching yoga classes again at our studio, Garden of Yoga. No, that wasn't an aerial yoga related pun. It's been a while since I've been teaching in person regularly, so I've been having to relearn some technical language, you know, words like feet and hands, but seriously, it's been great having people in the studio again and reconnecting with our community. So our guest this week is Divya Colley. Divya is a yoga teacher based in London and is the author of the book Finding Peace in Difficult Times, Grounding Techniques for Inner calm. These are obviously difficult times for many, so Divya's book is timely indeed. As you'll hear in our conversation, Divya has lived a varied and exciting life, including spending many years as a newspaper journalist after earning her master's in English literature from Cambridge University. It's a great conversation, but before that, as I said, we're now open for in-person classes at Garden of Yoga. So if you'd like to experience a class with us, you can now. Just go to gardenofyoga.com.au to learn more. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Yoga Australia, registering teachers and training courses to ensure that everyone in Australia has access to quality yoga teachers. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get into our conversation with Divya. All right, Divya, so good to finally get the chance to speak with you. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Perhaps we could start with you just telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Sure, and thank you very much for having me on. You have wonderful guests, so I'm really quite honoured, so thank you. Okay, so background and growing up. Well, we're looking back a bit and quite a few years to cover. So do do interrupt if it feels like the hours are passing and we, <laughs> <laughs> there's quite a lot of detail. I'll try, I'll try <laughs> and make it relevant, but if I get off track, just, just pull me back in. So I, I'm speaking to you from, from London, which is where I spent most of my life, but I was not born here. And uh, I was born in, in India, in the capital, in New Delhi. Of course, I can't remember that moment, but I do feel it, feel it in the bones, as I'm sure many people do. So beyond just the sort of thoughts about coming from a different place, I, I've, I've always felt it. There's something in the body of, well, usually actually when I just go outside and the English weather tells me that um, hmm, this wasn't my first choice. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so I was born in India, but actually my parents had already been in the UK for, for quite a while so there's a little bit of a detour that they did their story is fascinating and I could talk to you all day about that but let's just put it like this so my parents said well my father certainly had been in the UK for quite a while in the 60s and I think he had a lovely time uh-huh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll leave it at that bit and then come the 70s Interestingly, there's, there's changes and from what I can discern and what I've heard and read, the UK in the 70s was not a, was a bit of a grim place, actually, on all accounts. So economically, socially, there was smog. And it was all, it was all um, happening. I think we had these patches of you no know, work and in general as a country. And so it was difficult. And it was then that my father was actually feeling challenged in his own personal life and interestingly he didn't encounter that in the the 60s and I so wish I had had the time to ask him more about that but I think when you're someone's kid you don't think about asking these kind of vital questions that occur to you later so he has now passed away but that's definitely something I wish I'd asked him more about but I you know you pick up on it and you hear about things and so that yeah drove my parents to think you know what sod this let's go back to India and have a better life 
And that's why I was, ended up being born there. But we didn't stay there for long. I was hauled back again to London. And that was basically because I think my parents had anyway felt they were caught between these two cultural places, between two stools, as the proverb goes. And things weren't exactly easy in India either. My father's a very independent soul and felt quite stifled. So they came back and my father set up a business here from scratch, you know, from the living room type of thing. So I grew up in North London, Northwest London. My memories are generally good and fine. There's nothing sort of that stands out, but I, I do a bit like having this sense in my body of always being from somewhere else. I do recall from very young age, always feeling outside of things. And I'm sure this is a very common sensation or energy that many people feel when they are somewhere where either they weren't born or if they've moved around. So there is that, but I did feel it from more than, well, I didn't even feel that because I looked different, you know, skin color or cultural difference. Growing up, there was all that kind of in the home, there was certain ways of being and then outside different ways. But it, it, that wasn't it, and, and it's perhaps as an adult that I realised what it was, and it, it was probably something a bit more spiritual, if I can put it like that. Always, so it always, always being on the outside and, and looking at things from that perspective, that feeling was always there, and it, and it wasn't problematic because I know from what your interests are, both of you, and the things that you've covered, certainly in recent podcasts, the the challenges of whether it's integration or not, or, you know, when your work life or just in your own life, dealing with different cultures and just difference in general, um, that was there, but it wasn't problematic. It was interesting, if anything. And it continued. I mean, I, like any kid, you do the school thing, the college thing, did what I needed to do, but I sort of internally never really felt part of any system or tribe or group at school and then in my early teens quite quite early I got very interested in in news events and in particular in foreign news and I know that you both know that I was before being a yoga teacher I was a journalist and the seeds were there that maybe relates to just having this interest in what's going on around you and almost having a little bit of that perspective because you're not feeling part of something and you can look at it in a in a in a certain way but i think also so we're coming up to the 80s now pre-internet people <laughs> well in the 80s certainly in the uk tv's big you know that's kind of like your own only entertainment and the news was a feature in our household my father would always watch the morning news the evening news so it was on and it was it was there and in the 80s in the UK, we there was, well, there's always a lot going on. So I can't say there was especially a lot going on in the world then. But we, we had some quite major events. We had like the Falklands War. That was a big deal here. It's certainly news coverage, the Iran-Iraq War. What else? It was ongoing big events going on in Israel. Oh, and then we had the, the Northern Ireland Troubles. Um, so that was very prevalent in, in the ether and talked about. This is all in the decade of the 80s, as Libyan bombing and then, oh yeah, the Tiananmen Square protest. So, you know, big events. I was curious and very much taken by these things. And you know, meanwhile, my friends are like having sleepovers and you know, dancing to Wham and all of this. And so <laughs> I wasn't that kid. And so, yeah, the news and, and the news being on the telly, I realized now why I mentioned that. So I'd watch these events and there was just some part of me that thought, oh, I think one day I should investigate these things. And, and that was where the idea of being a journalist came about. And in that time, there was this one lady on the news, Kate Aidy. I don't know if that will mean anything to Aussies or Kiwis, but she, she's quite a figurehead in the UK. because She was the first woman to report on the front line. Now, I can't say in the world, but certainly from the UK, the first female to report actually on a front line of a war so I was smitten by her I thought she was the best and I'd 
took out notepaper and pen and wrote her a letter. Oh. And it was, you know, I just sent it to the TV company. I don't even think I had the postcode. I just put her name and then the TV company. Good old postal service somehow got it to her. And I did get a reply. She's very sweet. And she invited me to spend a day with her in the oh, TV. Oh, wow. Yeah, how cool is that? And so I did. So there it is. There it's kind of something is set that this is what I will do. And I remember even saying to myself, I will be the next KAD. <laughs> How presumptuous is that? But then I, I did the whole schooling thing, you know, you kind of have to do that. And you know, before you can just, I think in hindsight, I should have just left school and gone and worked on a paper, but that was not what a middle class person does. So I did schooling. I went to university. And that was interesting because actually when it came to the, the university bit, I said to my parents, oh, no, I know I'm not going to uni, I'm going to go and learn how to make documentaries. And there was this college in the northern part of England and I was very set on going there. So for any Brit friends listening, it was it was Warwick and they had this sort of film and documentary course. But my school really wanted me to be that person that got into a nice university and, and so basically I ended up going to Cambridge and just reading books basically instead so he did that and then after Cambridge got onto the work track which I was excited about and that route which again I'll, I'll try and be brief with it but hopefully that's just kind of vaguely interesting even if not, it's not all relevant to the yoga but I worked through the now internet has is there but it's still not dominating life or work or journalism so I worked on local papers I worked in magazines and I love the variety of that and then I got back onto the Guardian I started I started working for them oh god this is really bringing out some cool memories actually <laughs> oh that's okay <laughs> was there a moment when you kind of realized that journalism wasn't where your heart was anymore and you kind of changed direction into the yoga and the meditation yeah so we can thank you yeah we can we can zip up to that now so we I had got in my own imagination here up to the the, the mid 90s and yeah probably good we kind of fast forward that because that was that was hedonistic shall we just (laughs) yeah good times working by day and certainly partying by night so then we get towards the the latter part of the 90s okay the yoga bit yoga this this is definitely relevant to you and your podcast so I'm doing the journalism thing I'm back in London now because I'd spent some time outside of London doing some reporting but I'm back here and I was coming home from work it's a it's summer I remember it like yesterday, a nice warm sunny day, and I walked past the local pub, where to where I was um, flat sharing at the time, and it was quite a legendary pub. It's like a music venue place, and quite quite bustling and thriving. Now outside this pub, there was about three or four people just standing there with yoga mats under their arms, and yoga hadn't yet become a thing. It was still uh, on the sidelines if I can put it like that. So just being this nosy, annoying journalist, and I was curious as to why they were standing outside the pub. In fact, I even said, what's that to their yoga mat? I didn't even know what it was. And they told me, I said, what are you doing here? You know, just queuing outside the Powers pub. And they said, oh, there's a yoga class upstairs tonight. I was like, oh, a yoga class, you know, on the first floor. At the pub? Yeah, above the pub. So basically it was a room. I don't know what it's like where you are, but, you know, Certainly in those days, like yoga teachers, you know, wherever you could find a room to rent, right, you just grab it and, you know, and, and put on a class. So that's what was going on there. So I was like, mm, okay. And then they said, oh, you should join. It was very nice of them to think of that. And I said, ah, oh, no, I, I, don't, I don't do that. I don't even exercise. I can't even remember the last time I exercised. You know, I don't even run for a bus. And they're like, no, no, it's really nice. It's not, it's not exercise. You'll like it. And, you know, they persuaded me. I think I was also curious. And this girl, she lent me some jogging bands. Of course, you can't do that nowadays on Corona. But anyway, um, (laughs) and we were squashed in that room. It was a small room and we were mat to mat. So I had one of those experiences I've since gathered many people do. By the way, if you're not into yoga yet and you hear this and you don't have this experience, it doesn't matter. It's not prerequisite. But I had that experience of maybe 20 minutes into this class I felt happy. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, and it was a happy that I hadn't felt maybe ever before. It wasn't like jumping up and down happy. It was like warm just inside and I felt good. The teacher of that class, so she was elderly, but she was amazing. So, and she was, she was small, smaller than me. And I'm small, by the way, in this black leotard. She was in her 70s like this blonde bob you know leotard and black leggings and and she was caught and it was was a very very kind of simple straightforward class but I think within that was what she embodied which was just this yeah equanimity I suppose we call it after that first class I was quite taken by it and I basically developed a home practice from that day on I went home And I scribbled down what I could remember we did. And I did it the next morning. And then I had to wait for the next week's class. And I went to her class for about two years. Meanwhile, I'm doing the journalism thing and life thing. But that was my thing. And in fact, a week later, I also went and bought these two yoga books. And I just copied everything in it at home every day. And I just had this morning practice. And then I do whatever I needed to do. So that went on for about a couple of years. So the yoga came in at that point, still the journalist, whatever, and doing all of that. And then a few years of that, so it was in my late 20s, that's when everything went poof, but a bit more explosive than that. (laughs) So probably no coincidence, things all happening at once. So relationship, long-term relationship ending, not feeling well, questioning who I am, what's going on questioning the media industry itself. So my paper had just gone digital now. And beauty of hindsight, I can put those, join those dots together. But at the time, you don't, it's just all these different things happening. And it kind of like pulled me down into a vortex. It felt like that. And I was on the very edge of burnout. I knew that. And I didn't know what to do. And so even though we're not talking that long ago, People didn't talk about stress. People didn't talk about mental health, but they certainly weren't at that time where I was. And then there was my own internal pressure of, well, who am I and what am I if I don't do this? And if I leave this paper that everyone knows about and my whole life felt like it was leading to that point, what are my options here? And it didn't occur to me to maybe just find another way of doing journalism. But anyway, I stepped out of it. So I stepped out of it and I took up a job in publishing and it was such a relief. Pressure was off and not not to say that job in publishing was walking the park and still working, but I'd I'd left basically a national paper where, you know, I was getting up every day, had to be on it and on it, on the daily news. You get home late and then you do it again. And just the expectation of that and being informing yourself of what's going on in the world day in day out and in my case being quite attached to it so which is why to this day by the way I have such respect for newspaper journalists I know they get bad press no pun intended (laughs) and and people hate the media but you know it's man it takes a real strength to do that job particularly news like politicians if you're doing that day in day out and you're you're meant to be kind of informed on everything I think that's it's, it's incredible Feet. So yeah, I've still got a soft spot for, for, for journalists and journalism. Um, back to this point. So I was, I was kind of in publishing, and that's a whole other story and a whole little bit of a chapter. But but eventually, that was not fulfilling me. It felt like that was a point where I felt like, hmm, I'm doing what you do. You get a job, and then I'm supposed to get married, and then you do this, and then you do that, and it just it kind of freaked me out actually. And so I abandoned that and then I, I went into charity work because I thought, okay, I'll find my purpose and I'll be actually be doing something meaningful in the world again and da, da, da. And still that wasn't quite cutting it. That went on for a few years. The yoga's going on. So parallel to that, I'm doing on the weekends and in my spare time, I'm doing yoga teacher trainings and courses and you know, reading more about yoga. There's like these two lives basically that I had. And I suppose at some point that yoga lane (laughs) crossed over or or wanted to be more than just the other lane. And it it was like that. So now I'm in my early 30s and weirdly another sunny summer's day, something about that. And I'm walking home 
different place now, actually, where I'm living. But I'm and I've I've, I've got this job in the charity sector. I've managed to find a, a decent place to rent, which is not easy in London. You know, things are steady, things are fine. You know, things are fine. But I have this moment of, nah, that this is not what I'm here for. And I, I ended up going to India. <laughs> so yeah. all that, yeah, there's a long, I'm, I'm totally editing and abridging that because that's the whole story of how I went from that to that and it, all the inner questions. And the reason I went to India was not, the kind of because that's what you do now you know or, or to go and train and it wasn't even because I because I'm Indian the reason very very practical is because I know you might, might like this kind of detail I wanted to do a yoga training that was long and intense and immersive and I couldn't find one I'd done a part-time British Wheel of Yoga, which is like an established training body here on the weekends. But I, I really wanted to do something very immersive. And the only things I could find were a month long and maybe not um, the kind of philosophy or all of that coming into it. I, I couldn't find that. The only course I could find at that time that offered that happened to be in India. So that that was the thing. It, if it was somewhere else, I would have gone there. So it wasn't that, oh, it's in India and, you know, I'd love to go to India. Uh, it, was a, it was a six-month course, actually, full you know, residential and all of that. So I was like, yeah. I knew that. Oh, which ashram was it at? Or was it, an, was it at an ashram? No, it wasn't. And yeah, so this place has had incarnations. So at that time, it was called Yoga India, great name. I'll check because it's changed now, it's become quite a swish outfit, sadly, although good for them. So they're now this, so they're still called Yoga India, and uh, they're in Mysore, which, but not the Ashtanga Institute, but in the same town as the Ashtanga Institute. So basically this clever guy, he'd, he'd won yoga competitions, the, the, the founder of it, which I don't believe. I think I've seen him on the internet, like the other big training centre in Mysore. Right, right. But in my time, <laughs> okay, so he had a website and everything. This I hadn't been there before and I didn't know about it. This is when I came to, to go there he had a, and all of this and we'd had some email back and forth. So basically I'd left my job, my home and everything in you and plowed all my money to, to go and do this thing. It was a case of that and not knowing what I'd come back to. As I was saying, it's a longer story, but basically, so I got there, months of planning, and and I know in the bigger picture, it's no big deal, whatever, you leave a job and you go to the other side of the world, it's no big deal. But, you know, when it's your own life and you're young, it feels like, oh, my God, what am I doing? So I, I finally get there, you know, I've got my case, one case in each hand, and I've finally done it, you know, I've left everything behind. And I'm looking for this yoga school. So it's not an ashram, it's a, he calls it yoga school, and I can't find it. I don't know, plane journeys, train journeys, da, 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 I can't find it. I'm on the street and I'm standing on this street and there's no one there. And then one person eventually walks past and she's certainly not Indian. She, she turns out she's American. I was like, she must know. Why else is this woman here if not for this yoga school? And, and she does. And she points behind me. She said, yeah, that's the school. And I turn around and it's this garage. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, choose your expletive. I'm like, so I've just given out everything for this. So it's nothing like what it was on the internet. <laughs> anyway, so I, and I knock on the door and it's this garage and then it has this little room next to it with a toilet that doesn't work and a fan that doesn't work. And that was where I was every day from 4 a.m. to 8 p.m., six days a week for the next, uh, yeah, five, five and a half months, six months. And there were seven of us to begin and five of us by the end. It was quite, quite chuffed. I was one of those five. I was the oldest by far. So the others were like young hippies from like Germany and you know, Israel and that kind of thing. And then there's me who basically office worker from London, you know. And the course, it was intense. It was it was very, very old school. So he's changed it all now. It's, it's all very modernized and European. So it's got big studios and he does one month long teacher trainings now and all of that. And, and that's fine. I get that. He's doing very, very well. So none of this is to discredit that or even to discredit what I did. But 
there's lots to say about my time in India. I've got I've got a question for you that I'm really interested in. What was your experience like as an Indian person, but not in a town where you grew up and learning about your own culture with a whole bunch of people from all over the world who maybe would have come in with ideas about what they thought yoga was? Like, how did that all play out? That's wonderful. And you see, I knew you guys were good because why has no one ever asked me that before? Very good question. So I think by the nature of this being an intense course and what have you, and it and it not being what was fashionable, so it wasn't the Ashtanga, it wasn't the Iyengar. By nature of that, I think it attracted a certain kind of person that was earnest, respectful, and, and all of that. So the, the others on the course, they they probably knew more about Indian culture and history than I did, if I can put it like that. So there was that. I didn't feel there was any kind of just flying in from California and putting a bindi on your forehead and chanting and like that, which is, by the way, fine. I have no issues with that. I know a lot of people do. It wasn't like that. I think all of us were there to go deep. So we already had that unity. So yeah, from my perspective, I was born in the North. So from one state to another, you might be aware is different in India. So coming to a southern state or even just a place I didn't know in India, I felt a visitor, but in in a perfectly being okay with that way. I wanted to to learn. And there was these two worlds going on. So cool that you bring this up. There's the modernish town village. It's sort of village stroke town, I would call it, not quite a town because it was outside of Mysore, a little suburb. So there's life going on there, which actually proved to be my my most learning and what I remember the most of my time there. The sky, the, the way people lived and just the energy of the place, that's what really stayed with me more so than the actual training bit. But in our little garage training school, then we'd be learning from day one, we were asked to read the scriptures in Sanskrit. It was hilarious, you know, the German woman trying and, you know, the, the Americans. You know, none of us could pronounce these things, myself included, but we were just made to. I did feel quite connected to these teachings again, even though I couldn't speak them properly and I needed to learn about them and what they meant like the others did. I, I felt connected to it. So I felt both visitor and at home, I felt both in terms of my own feeling in the place. And I didn't feel any friction or from the others on the course. But I think that was to do with the nature of it. You know, someone who's going to give their time and energy to that kind of thing. Yeah, it sounds like you didn't choose one of the more glamorous and sceny yoga courses. <laughs> no, and I think being much more relaxed about all of that, we might come on to that now. But I wouldn't last two minutes in those courses. I just wouldn't. And that, that says a lot about me. Most yoga studios in the UK, I've, I've got no interest in. I, I'll step in and I'll just go, go home and just do a practice. It just doesn't connect to me. I just didn't go, go into yoga for that. It's actually something that I really got from reading your book and your writing on your blog as well. Like you're very grounded with these practices and very committed to sharing them in a way that's like really true to the teachings, but so people can actually apply them in their everyday life. Like I think you've got a real gift for simplifying these practices without losing the essence of what they are. Thank you so much. Can we put that on the back cover? <laughs> oh, feel free to quote me. <laughs> Absolutely. Like so many of the things that you wrote, the practices, I was like, oh, I'm going to save that because I feel like I want to share them in my teaching. And I think it's such a gift. Like I think sometimes the yoga industry can get really sidetracked with something that's not, like it's a very superficial aspect of the practice. And give people the perception that that's what yoga is, where there's this whole heart to these teachings that really anyone can learn from and anyone can apply in their lives. And, you know, sometimes it is quite, it's not until you see something expressed in a certain way that it kind of shines that light on that particular aspect. I'm not sure what my question is with this, but I guess. Yeah, I think you, you probably point to the how the journalism and yoga meet because I do often get that oh my god you left your job and did that and I don't know it just it fed into the other and maybe you've pointed to what that is which is you're dealing with a lot of information 
and what are you going to do with it? And what do you take from it? And what's the truth in it? And how are you going to present that? And how much spin are you putting on that anyway? I mean, that to me is yoga teaching, right? That is yoga teaching right there. What are you presented with? What are you actually getting from it? But actually, if you're going to share that, what is it you're going to share? What's the integrity in that? What's the truth? And what are you not seeing? And how are you going to cover that? What's important anyway? That to me was journalism. To me, that's yoga teaching as well. So, and hopefully, as a student as well, those are the questions that I think, you know, first you go into yoga for what you need and how it makes you feel because we're human beings. Why would we do anything otherwise? You know, we're not feeling or getting something from it. And then I think if you persist, then those are the same questions I would hope, I know, comes up for people on, on their yoga journey. So, yeah, what you do with what you discover. And how interesting that your early life in journalism really helped you navigate these ancient teachings and share them in a way that everyone could access. So all those paths leading us through life, interconnecting. They do, they do. And, yeah, with the passing of time and I'm sure we can all look at that and a lot of, I think, we can be hard on ourselves, can't we? We think, why didn't I do that before? Or why haven't I done that yet? Or why isn't this working? And often there are very you know, concrete reasons. And you know, if life did go how we wanted it, I'm not, I'm not sure there'd be any point in being here. You know, you're here to figure it out. But then also, yeah, one thing layers and feeds into the next. That doesn't necessarily mean it works out in a way that's perfect and balanced but and it's often when it doesn't actually that you know, it's a cliche isn't it but we we learn from when things don't work out often more than when they do <laughs> hello ron here to talk about our patreon page patreon is a way that you can help support the podcast for as little as one dollar us a month higher tiers get access to extra special content as well as a listing on our website and a shout out on the podcast if you'd like to help us with a small monthly donation just go to patreon.com slash flow podcast and join the fun speaking of extra content we asked divya some more of your thoughts around social justice and more so check that out on our patreon page in a couple of days if you'd like to support us in other ways, you can share this episode on social media, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just reach out and let us know your thoughts on this or anything else. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Divya. Well, that really leads me into something I've been wondering about because things have not worked out in 2020. It's been a very intense year. And do you have any thoughts about the way that the wellness world or the yoga world has responded to COVID-19 and the other things that are going on in the world right now? Yeah, big question. So glad you're asking it. And I want more people to ask it and to not worry if they don't know the answer, but just engage in it. So you say wellness. Okay, so are we, are we saying yoga within that, just wellness in general, how it's responded to Actually, can I read something from your blog that I really loved? Oh. So here's, here's the thing. All the yoga, spiritual practice and work on oneself that anyone can or might do does not make you immune to the events of the world. Suffering, loss, disruption, they're part of life and sometimes these things hit such a peak that it's not possible to sail through it, let alone not be impacted. And a, a healthy diet and fit body and lots of money do not protect you from the injustices that occur in this world. And it might even, and even if it might seem like a fortress of defense. So something that I've noticed online is a lot of these practices seem to be directed about personal wellness and personal well-being. And I see that in the yoga field and in related kind of discourse. But from what I get from what you're saying, it's like, you can eat all the good food in the world, but you are still going to be part of these world events. And how are you going to respond to that? Like how are these practices actually going to shape how you move through the world? Yeah. Well, you've, you've, you've shared, I think, a lot of insight just in, in what you've said there and put it as a, as a question. So I think even just starting from that of asking oneself that, is is already a tool, already a way of 
facing what we are facing either individually or collectively, which is what am I doing or not doing? How is this truly helping me? So very a more, shall we say, blunt and truthful self-inquiry, which yoga is a self-inquiry, but also that inquiry can just obviously go beyond, you know, your yoga practice. In in terms of, yeah, so thinking about, I did have some thoughts on, on wellness response to I mean, COVID-19, right? So COVID-19 is a health issue. We know it then spills into economics and social. I kind of think that wellness industry could be playing a much more impactful and helpful part in all this, perhaps not in direct response to your question, but it's quite interesting. I have found certainly in the UK and what I've picked up on just reading online and around the world that could could be different around the world, but there hasn't actually been much response from yoga land or yoga world to COVID-19. And I mean, there's, there's that whole brigade of people questioning whether it's there's conspiracy theories and the whole 5G thing. I mean, the yoga community, people in the yoga community have had some thoughts and strong vocalization on that. But what I haven't seen is they don't even have to be necessarily yoga teachers. It's just putting themselves forward there and saying, isn't this a good time for us to look at our health and well-being? Because we know that there are vulnerable communities to this virus and we, we know quite a lot in terms of who can get this virus and and come through at the other end okay and who can't. And it is largely, it's not genetics, you know, it's it's largely to do with how well you are in the first place and how you operate internally. So I think, you know, yoga could could step in there a little bit and say, look, we've got these practices to make not just your immune system, but you know, all of you function in a more robust way let's think about this now let's think about this for the future so you know do we not want to think about how we might fare when something like this happens again and and how about revisiting the practice from that perspective of you know how is this actually helping me even on the physical side and then also thinking about the future generations you know what we could share here for for their health and well-being so I've not seen any but I've, I've seen quite a running scared from that actually and I get it because you know yoga teachers community probably think, well we're not medics we don't know we're not scientists but heck you are I mean yoga is a science right this could be a good time to kind of get a bit more confidence in that and, and take we talk about yoga being for well-being come on guys you know all right so how does that actually input so it can be a prompt for that I ran one workshop linking what was going on the coronavirus and, and, and a suggestion that you might want to consider yoga to help with your immunity and it was, it was very popular and I, I try to be very careful that I'm not saying do this and then you won't get this or do this and then you'll be fine so that's up to us as teachers how we approach that and I think we grow from not just making these you know, silly generalizations. But at the same time, I made myself do it on purpose because it's like, well, how long have we succumbed to all these articles online and in magazines or memes saying, you know, yoga does this, yoga does this, and now you've all gone quiet. Like, we're right, right? Like, come on, we need you. So there's that angle. Then there is the big topic, the the, the community and the collective spirit angle you know of and what I have found there and again I understand all this it's really don't want to come across as you know just uh being this um cross yoga teacher <laughs> whatever shaking your finger in the air but you know we're having discussion and I'm so glad you bring it up so we can you know, share these things so a bit like the you know yoga is great for well-being thing we we have we're bombarded constantly with a message of yoga is connection yoga is makes you feel at one and it's all about community definitely speaking for uk we we don't really have a yoga community here i'm not saying that's bad but i'm just calling it out for what it is i know in different countries there's there's more sense of that but we don't have that so just sort of noting that to begin with what i have noticed was being drawn from and currently is because obviously we're still in pandemic time I think yoga land went into uh, we need to find a way to save ourselves mode, which is very understandable. So if you're a studio, 
how the heck am I going to survive? If you're a teacher, get on the Zoom and spend your time figuring out how to make your uh, business work online. And then from the student or practitioner or punter's point of view, during the lockdown, where am I going to get my yoga? And then coming out of lockdown, okay, I'm sitting at home all day or I'm stuck with the kids all day. You know, what, what, what can I have my little hour of yoga there? So I think we've all kind of gone into our compartments of immediate need, and which is understandable. And that's also admirable if you can just survive and make your livelihood work. But I think something got lost there or is getting lost there. Let's maybe not put it in past tense. Everything is still possible. What happened to that spiritual connection? What happened to that collectivity? What happened to, I didn't see anyone talk about karma yoga or how can maybe as a yoga community, we go out there and help the vulnerable, the the elderly, the the people who are sick, or how can we, yes, there was the, if you're an NHS worker, you can get your discount or do the class for free. So that's good, you know, but I think it was a little bit light, maybe, you know, how about speaking to doctors, finding out what they really need, and just going that little bit further, how about, rather than, this is your chance to take your business global, how about, no, this is your chance to find out what your local street needs you know rather we did the the sort of banging of the pots I don't know if you did that in Australia for your health workers did you oh no it wasn't really such a thing here which was lovely right and that it was very emotional for most of the nation and I'm not saying that yoga people had to come up with something like that but you you know just something Where's that connection happening? Where's that community happening? I haven't seen, or and before anyone says, well, what did you do then, Divya? Well, yeah, it's a good question. So I volunteered and I did that partly because I thought a good thing to do. But I did feel like I, I feel a bit icky if I'm just going to spend these five months that it turned out to be just obsessed about how I'm going to survive as a yoga teacher in the small sense. I mean, you, you know, I mean, this then brings it up, doesn't it? Like <sighs> yoga is on two planes, right? It's the everyday, but then it's the, why are we even here? And so I, I felt a bit icky of like, if all I'm doing here is like worrying about which I don't, because I don't know, it doesn't, you know, numbers online or whatever. Okay, fine. You know, you obviously have to think about it and you're, run a yoga business and and then there's that whole thing and th- this was being plugged out a lot you know you have to look after yourself you know and that's the biggest gift you can do and as yoga teachers you know you have to look after yourself so that you can teach sure but but there's a bit beyond that too right I mean in the looking after of yourself if you're only thinking about yourself I don't think that makes you spiritually well I just you know so within the self-care is the where is where are others figuring in that does that make some sense absolutely and I think it's something that a lot of teachers have been struggling with because in a lot of ways like lockdown is very isolating like you've done great to go out and volunteer but I think that opportunity might not have even occurred to some people and so there's definitely there's the two sides of the same coin. There's that individual well-being and taking care of yourself, but collective well-being and actually the mental health benefits that come from being connected to your community and feeling like you're making a positive contribution in the world and doing your own little bit to make the world a bit of a better place in a really hard time is so powerful. But maybe a tricky wheel to get rolling when people are just kind of bamboozled by everything that's happened and so I guess my question to you is say a teacher listening to this has been feeling like that like they do want to make a bit more of a positive contribution like where to from here like what advice would you have ah right big and important question so obviously I don't have all the answers and I'm still still and probably always will be trying to figure this out but um, lifetime practice right (laughs) So I think firstly, not being afraid of that. Okay, so I think there might be, uh, this American phrase has just come into my head, playing small, right? To not be afraid of being a little bit more than that person who delivers the Monday night yoga class. Yeah, so I think I think there's a little bit of faith 
that actually what you know, what you have, this tool of yoga could could, could be. Because I, I think there's just even that idea, as you said, you know, maybe that doesn't occur to people. So I think putting that out there that, and, and then making it real and authentic, because I think these things, they either only work or happen if you actually truly feel engaged to it. So there's no point trying to make yourself do something that you really don't want to or you feel uncomfortable in. But then this can be part of the yoga self-inquiry. Well, where and what do I have or could I have or work towards? It doesn't always have to happen right now where this could be more of an offering. And even engaging in that question is, I think, sever service, you know, because you're, you're doing the work, basically. In terms of sort of practical things, I think, uh, and I, I need this, I need to do this, is perhaps to link up, I think, doing this all on your own. So w- what I'm very aware of, and, and perhaps you are too, alongside the isolation anyway, most yoga teachers are operating on their own. As I said, we don't really have this community thing whether you're in a family or not, a lot of yoga teachers actually are also on their own. You know, they, they, they not just op- teaching from being self-employed, but a lot of them don't necessarily have family network or what have you, just like in the world itself. So I think there needs to be some linking up. And that could even start from finding you know, one teacher, one other teacher that resonates with you and having the kind of chat that we are now and things come out of that. I think also looking local. So that's where I have found opportunities to go into. I've I've also started offering mindfulness to a small group of refugees. And that came out through having a conversation with a GP, with a doctor in a local practice. And she was very concerned that so these are adult refugees actually so they're caught in a a system whereby they don't know what's going to happen one day to the next they're neither a citizen they're neither in exile they're in a very difficult place of and also not being in in their own places that they're familiar to They're, they're literally in this sort of lost world and during the the COVID time she contacted me she she found me on the net by the way and then we got in touch and we had so I was open to that and as I was thinking well you know what I'm looking after my mum my students my business who pay my rent and I'm also volunteering I was picking up prescriptions I'm, I'm not a saint by the way I just perhaps need to be kept busy <laughs> otherwise it, <laughs> it's just my own thing anyway so this GP called up we started chatting and she was just sharing how they're very isolated and what have you. And anyway, their plight. And I said, well, what about, and this is it, and this is all, I won't say all that we're doing, but I said, how about a 15-minute Zoom mindfulness session once a week? Have they all got phones or something like that? And actually some of them don't, didn't. Bless her heart. Now, she's a busy enough woman, right, a GP during any time, let alone COVID time. She went and then sourced some secondhand used mobile phones and got a couple of them a mobile phone purely so they could then log on and we have this once a week 15 minute mindfulness session and they love it they say it helps keep them going gives them something to look forward to there's connection boom you know there I mean there's a little example and we'll try and keep it going as long as we can so I'm just sort of trying to give a actual happening example there but these things I think when you connect with others ideas will come I think even connecting with others anyway gets your own mind contemplating these things and I think just having a little part of your energy even given over to thinking about these things in itself I think then it shows itself in the way you teach and then opportunities will come out of that anyway or or your teaching becomes perhaps it takes on that flavor other than what you're doing on the mat if you're thinking about if you're interested if you're putting yourself in the situation of opening up in that quote that you read you know about facing what's there and this event that has for many of us we don't even know yet it's too soon we're still in it seeing what the impact is really stepping into that and stepping into that yes in your own body and mind but also allowing for a little bit of space of how that might be impacting others. I think if you're already in that mind space, it will come through. 
That's really great advice. Thank you. Mm, absolutely. So maybe to change the topic a little bit, would you like to tell us about your book and perhaps your motivations behind writing it? Sure. Okay. Short version. <laughs> so I do love writing, as I think it does for, for many of us. It's a way that I can distill thoughts, try and find meaning by putting things on the page and then finding my way through through it that way. So the writing has always been there in my life in some form. Really, that fed into the, the journalism. And it was, it was also why, in, in particular, I chose to do print journalism and not broadcast. Thank God. I mean, you're putting yourself out there every day, do you? Anyway, whole other topic. Anyway, so I've always thought I'd write a book. Right? I just in myself, I thought, you know what? I love books. Um, books were my best friends growing up, you know, went to bed with books on my bed sort of thing. I thought, you know, one day I'm going to write a book. I was very much into stories and novels. And then when I got into this whole yoga malarkey, I got into more sort of spiritual and psychology and all of that. But I always thought, yeah, wouldn't it be great to write a great story and just put it out there? Uh, maybe not of the standard of the, the great novelist that I look up to, but let's give it a shot. So I did. I think a few years ago, I gave it a shot. Uh, it was rubbish. So as that was that, put it away, you know, rubbish novel in, in the drawer somewhere. Left it at that. And then I think it was probably after my father passed away a few years ago. I don't know why I'm saying that, but I think there was something in me that just made me look at life in a different way of the whole sense of maybe a bit of a cliche, but, you know, what have you got to lose? One life. You always wanted to write, but let's write again. So I wrote another novel, Rubbish that way I didn't finish that one actually I saved myself some time on that fine and then last summer I thought okay third time lucky let's <laughs> uh, actually where I'm speaking to you from now on my little beanbag in my front room I thought um actually I had an idea for a great story this time I was like, ah, the story has come to me and I sat down to write this great story and something else came out what came out was these are Things that I learned through my teaching and things that I was doing in my own life that just supported my mental health, let's put it that way. And as I sat down, I saw around me in my room, I've got lots of notebooks and notepads and pieces of paper and files. And what's in them are notes that I've kept through my yoga teaching over the last 16 years or so. And I thought, they're just sitting there, you know, in these notebooks. So basically, I went through them and then I contemplated highlights, shall we say, of, thing, of change that I'd seen in students and clients. And it just started coming together as this compendium of you know, things that just help you in your daily life feel better from the inside out. That led to this book, Finding Peace in Difficult Times, which was not the original title, just on a sort of practical note, because you know, some of your listeners will might like to know like well how did it go from idea to book and all of that which is probably again another sort of book writing podcast but um so it took me a few months now these things can take longer of course you know some for some people books you know they have to stew and evolve this particular one it flowed out and I think that's probably just because it was a coming together of ideas of over the years as time was right so it took a few months I paid someone to receive my work just to make me accountable and keep me on track on it. So I had to, I, I actually pay them just to receive some stuff and have little deadlines. But the original book was called Unplug. So you asked about motivation. What my key motivation in writing it still is, even though the book titles changed, was Jesus Christ. One of, for me, one of the biggest issues of our time is attention and uh, how we've lost control of our attention right that was the motivation for writing this book which was how are we just going to let that happen more and more and more we know the science is telling us our attention spans have dropped we know there's more far more stimulation in the world i think there's a statistic like we our senses are bombarded in a day with more than people would be bombarded over 10 years you know in a previous generation i mean in one day right versus what people were exposed to in a decade, right, through their minds. 
And it's all very well saying, yeah, humans will evolve and we will adapt. But I think we know beneath the surface we are struggling. You know, we know our young people are. We know that there's a part of us that thinks, is this right? That I am, whether it's devices, information or what have you, it's just too much. So the motivation behind the book was rather than approach this from a sense of the, <laughs> the science or what's going on here in the world, which I don't feel qualified enough to do, I think that, I was like, from the yoga perspective, how can we approach this? And then it was like, aha, uh-huh. actually, it's all there. <laughs> how to work with your mind, how to work with your breath, how to rewire your body. And we know now, it's, it's quite fashionable now, isn't it? There's lots of books now and lots of people out there telling us how to do it and what have you. Um, and then I was like, hang on a second. From the moment I did that first yoga class, how was it way before we knew any of this? You know, there's no information online. We didn't know the science. This is all quite new. How was it from my first yoga class? I got plugged in right within minutes. What went on there? So it was like, ah, okay, there are all these things we can do from within that empower us to manage our mind and then decide what we plug into or not. So that was the origin of the book, and it's called Unplug. I actually still prefer that title, but publishers didn't like it. And the, the subtitle was, which I also like, Unremarkable Ways Back to Presence. Because they are, they are just, you know, they're special and they're not. You know, they're simple, and I think for that reason they're special. But it's all about from within. So, yeah, and it was the things that I had done and learned and, and putting that all together. And most of them are just five to 10 minute practices at the most. And so simple that the very, no one has to have any yoga experience to be able to learn and access these practices and so powerful at the same time. I actually love as well how you put quite a few little gems of insight from your own life in there. And my favorite one was, it was in your chapter about sleep and how you just used to be such a sleep monster when you were young that when you were at university, like the caretaker knocked on your door because no one had seen you for a few days, but you were just having a really good sleep. <laughs> Those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> Sleep's a big one, isn't it? And then it's very current. It's very, well, also with COVID. Yeah, sleep deprivation can destroy you. It's a big one. So, yeah, there's a chapter in there, as you know. What can we do when we can't sleep? So, I yeah, I went from sleep monster and then I had my insomniac period. So, yeah, there's the personal experience from that. But also just through teaching, it comes up again and again from students and clients. You know, their, their sleep is affected or they're having trouble sleeping. I've got it with several clients right now, actually. So, you learn from experience, but then you learn from what they then share with you. And then absolutely you don't need to be into yoga or have a yoga practice. These things are universal. It just so happens it's through that yoga window that I've managed to learn and test these things out. But yeah, the idea was let's just share this wider, all there to be experienced. Beautiful. Well, I think we've just got one more question for you. And that question, we, we save it for last for all of our conversations, so you might have heard it already, but if you could distill everything that you've learnt and everything that you teach down to one core essence, what do you think that one thing would be? I hadn't prepared for this. <laughs> so you're <laughs> well, those are the best answers. Yeah. I'm sorry if this is a little bit bland, but what comes to mind right now is do your best and keep going. I mean, I think that's really great advice mm, for all of us. Yes. And like the other things that you've shared, it's so simple, but also so powerful. Mm, absolutely. Well, absolutely. thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you for all the, the work and output that you are sharing with the world. So important. So it's much appreciated. Oh, it's our pleasure. And it's a beautiful chance for us to learn about things that we're passionate about as well. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Divya. As I mentioned, there's about 30 minutes more of a conversation we had with her up on our Patreon page just for our supporters. So please check that out in a couple of days. Our next conversation is with Mark Workman 
I was on a panel for Global Yoga Therapy Day with Mark recently, and he's got an incredible story. He's got a degree in theology. He spent many years as a Taoist monk, and after losing a leg a few years back, he's been sharing his deep yoga practice with many other amputees. So look out for that conversation in two weeks' time. I'm really looking forward to it. Our theme song is Baby Robots by Go Soul and is used with permission. Get his music from gosoul.bandcamp.com. Thank you so much for listening. Joe and I really appreciate you spending your time with us. Aroha nui. Big, big love.